Hello, great to see you. Are you doing well? I hope you're okay. I hope you've managed to um, replace the void in your life that's been left now that Bake Off has finished. Um, or the England rugby team are now out, so yeah, okay. And there's an open wound still there. We'll do ministry at the end. Uh, but re really warm welcome to you if you are a visitor. We love having guests amongst us. And um, you'll know that if, if you're a regular here, though, that we've been looking at a series called Life on the Front Line, where we're really wanting to make space for what God's been saying to us as a church and for each one of us to get better equipped for God's frontline purposes in our lives. And um, I, I don't know if you'd say this is true for you, but my observation from many of the lives of the people I know around the, the church family here is over the past few months, it's been a period of remarkable spiritual intensity. I, I don't know if you've been sort of conscious of that personally too, but there have been some real highs and there have been some real lows going on. We've had, um, uh, seems like we've had opposition and breakthrough in equal measure. Uh, so we've had um, people with serious sickness and illness. We've had financial challenges. Uh, we've had redundancies. We've had um, uh, personal injustices. We've had relational difficulties and tests of faith uh, that have been quite unusual. Uh, anybody else feel like that's a bit of a summary of their life over the past few months? Not in my direction, yeah? Okay, a good, good number of us. If you, if you don't sense that, you're now the prayer team. So, um, you know, get ready for the end. I guess for me, the biggest crunch point came um, immediately after Simon uh, went off, off sick. And um, we had this thing called the Sustainable Power School, which is basically on the back of the book that Simon wrote. We've had a whole load of church leaders wanting to know more and how can they be trained further. And so uh, they would uh, write in or email in to the offices and uh, what the team would do is say, well, look, we can't give you sort of one-on-one -on -one time, but if you book this chunk of time out in your diary in May, then you can come along and we will do a whole week to help train and equip you. Uh, so that was the plan, and uh, it was on the Friday night before it was due to start on the Monday morning that we learned that Simon wasn't going to be there. Um, so on the Monday morning, um, I stood up in front of this group of people who had carved out time in busy diaries, who had booked hotels, and in some cases flown in, especially to hear Simon speak. And I had to say, well, you know, you, you know you're here particularly to hear Simon's teaching and ministry he ain't coming. And I had to sort of raise that with them. And that man of faith that I am, right there and then, I offered them all their money back, uh, which was an interesting moment. Royden went a bit pale at that thought. But um, the good thing is that we went through the week, and it turns out that God is God. Uh, and it turns out that, that, that he does turn up and help us. And we had the most remarkable week. But it was a period of spiritual intensity, the like of which I'd not known in a while. You know, I was standing up in front of these leaders, and there was one talk. You know, I had 45 minutes to prepare the talk. You know, I, I need 45 minutes to, to write a birthday card, you know, let alone do a talk. <laughs> but God came through for us in that moment. So there have been these different challenges, but equally, there have been breakthroughs that have been quite remarkable. We've got now, currently running, one of the largest Alpha and Beta courses we have ever had. You know, and that is God breaking through. We, we've seen stories that many of you will have seen the video interview with Mark, who's serving on PA here this morning, of how in literally one day, he has been fed through a tube to his stomach and has massive quantities of morphine just to get through life because of his stomach issues, unable to eat solid food, gets prayed for, and the next day he's 
eating pizza like his very life depends on it, you know. And a remarkable, remarkable breakthrough. So there's been these real highs and lows. And as I've reflected on it, it seems like the spiritual thermostat has been turned way up. And this is just purely my perspective, no one else's. But as I prayed and reflected on it, I thought, what, what's going on? You know, this is a remarkably intense period. And I looked back and I thought, well, when was the last time we had a season like this? And I realized that it was actually back in 2010. I mean, it was back in 2010, around the time of the last election. And it was around the time of this election that we had a similar period of spiritual intensity. And I just can't help, can't escape the sense that the reason we've encountered a period of spiritual intensity at a time when the nation is making important decisions is because we as a church family are called to do some things that are of national significance. And when things hang in the balance nationally, the, the spiritual thermostat is turned up for us as a church family. Now, that's not to decry what other churches are called to do and how God will use them. But I think we need to understand the seasons, the times that we are in. And I think we need to recognize that there is a big call on our lives. And that means that we will see opposition, but we will also see breakthrough. And how we learn to handle that shapes everything. And during this past few months, there have been three prophetic strands that have come through extremely strongly, time and time again, and maybe you'll be aware of them. One prophetic strand has been around the whole theme of rest, that we're called to do such things of significance that they can never be explained away purely by hard work. Rather, as the psalmist says, they come out of a quiet and stilled soul, that God's going to do some things that are beyond our ability to work hard. The second prophetic theme I've noticed coming through is the whole area of focus. That we're not just called to meaningless busyness. That's coming as a relief to some of you. But rather that God will cause us to concentrate on certain specific things. And then there's been a third prophetic theme that's come through time and time again. And it's this. That God is wanting to build a family here. Not an organization. Not an institution. Not even a charity but God is wanting to build a family here. And it's this third theme that I'm wanting to pick up this morning, as I believe it's something that's very close to God's heart. It's a massive subject just in itself. You know, in the New Testament alone, there are 198 different references to the church being like a family. But there's one particular aspect of this I want to pick up today. And it's this. I want to look at what it means to have loyalty in the family of God, what the quality of loyalty should look like in the family of God. And it couldn't be more relative to this society now than, than ever before, could it? I mean, it, it, it's extremely relevant to our day and age. Our society values separation. It, it values privacy over community. Uh, you know, what's the first thing that British people do when they go for the day on the beach? What do they do? They mark up their territory, don't they? That's the first thing you do, you know, you've got your buckets, your spades, we, we bring a windbreak with us, partly to deal with the wind, but partly so that we've got a portable wall to take with us to mark out our space on the beach. That's what we do, isn't it? No. Uh, when we go down to the swimming pool on holiday, what's the first thing we do? We lay our towel on the sunbed, don't we? Stop the Germans getting to it. But, that, you know, that's... I'm just kidding. But we do, don't we? We mark out our territory. We have phrases like, an Englishman's home is his castle. You know, th this is my space, this is my territory, and I will draw up the drawbridge when I want. 
The highest human goal is seen as independence that gives you a freedom of choice and opportunity where you can do what you like, when you like, where you don't need to refer or defer to anyone. And it's into that worldview that the Lord speaks to us from Ephesians chapter 2. It says this, verse 19, So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all God's high, holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. There's a clear reference here Paul's making to the Old Testament temple, which was a, a symbol of national pride for the Jewish nation. But Isaiah prophesies that God will raise up a different kind of temple in the days to come. In Isaiah 28, he says this, So this is what the sovereign Lord says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. In other words, God is building a new temple to house his glory. The old temple was there to point the way to the new temple, and the precious cornerstone is Jesus, on whom everything else depends. What the Father wanted all along was a people, a community who would belong to him, a family to call his own. And very simply this morning, I want to make a couple of observations about what this family, what this new temple should look like. The first thing I want us to realize is that God's building this family, he's building this temple out of living stones, not living bricks. Uh, the parallel passage in 1 Peter describes the, the temple of the church like this. He says, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. So the good news is this morning that you are a living stone, not a living brick. God's materials for building aren't all uniform and identical. They don't all have square edges and straight lines. We're all unique. And if we're honest, some of us are more unique than others. We're living stones. In this room here, we'll have beautiful pieces of sandstone that catch the light and radiate warmth. We'll also have craggy bits of granite that can hold weight. But the point is, God is using a variety of different mediums, a variety of different materials to form something beautiful. Jesus takes you and fashions you to the way he wants you to be. He forms you. Your destiny is not to become like somebody else. You know, your destiny this morning is not to become more like Wendy or more like me. Your destiny is to become the godly version of you. Maybe this morning you wouldn't say that you're a Christian. Maybe you wouldn't say that you're close to Jesus. And one thing that's held you back is you think, well, if I, if I become a Christian, will I lose a bit of myself along the way? Well, the truth is God will actually enhance who you are and make you more like he always intended you to be. So that's the first thing. God is making this building out of living stones and not out of living bricks. But the second thing I want us to realize is that you are designed to play your part. You are made to belong to something that is bigger than yourself. That's why Paul says, you are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. You were made not just to believe a set of truths, but to belong to a family. I don't know what you think about when I say the word family. 
For some of us, the word family will stir up warm, happy feelings of fun and laughter. Others, not so much. Uh, For you, spending time with your family isn't exactly a walk in the park. It's more of a day at the zoo. You know, that's how you feel about things. Here's what I think of when you say the word family. I've got a couple of photos coming up here on the screen. Here's some of my extended family. Uh, I know the one on the right looks like a bouncer's convention, but actually that's me stood with my cousins. Uh, My family has seen its fair share of highs and lows. Uh, We've had lots of danger and drama at various points. Up there uh, on the far side, on the left of the right-hand picture, is my cousin Steve. He was wrongly dismissed by his accountancy firm, who really stitched him up. And it was the family then who rallied to support him when he was left suddenly with no income and three children to look after. Finally, in a dramatic court case, he was vindicated, and these days he owns his own manufacturing company. Standing next to him is my cousin Christopher. When he was 17, he was involved in a horrific motorbike accident where he nearly died and lost his left leg. Again, it was the family who stood round him in those days. I remember the nurses having to find more chairs for the crowd that sat round his bedside 24-7. It was this bunch of people who protected my aunt when she was the victim of domestic violence. And we hid her from her abusive and violent husband for many months. Whilst a long way from perfect, the people on that screen have cared for each other's children, prayed through the night, helped each other with DIY projects, and given literally tens of thousands of pounds to one another in times of need. When I think of my earthly family, it reminds me of times how we've laughed together, how we've grieved together, times when we've fought for each other, when we've encouraged each other, and point blank refused to give up on each other. I know that if I was involved in some sort of crisis, within a few hours I could quite literally have the whole family on my doorstep, whether I liked it or not. (laughs) When I look back at our family, the times I'm most grateful for are the times when our family has demonstrated unwavering loyalty to one another. Of course, maybe you could hear about my family and you could think to yourself, I wish my family was a bit more like that. I'd love to be part of a family like that. But hold that thought for a moment. Where do you think that desire came from? Why do we want for that? How come even though you may never have known what it is to be part of a loving, supportive family, you still long for it? How come, even though you may never have experienced it, you still know a good family when you see one? I want to suggest to you that's because the Father has designed for you to be part of a family. And the good news is that no matter how dysfunctional or even non-existent your earthly family has been, we can still now be family to one another. That is our call. That is our destiny. That's what the Father is doing amongst us. He is building these living stones on one another. He has designed things so that we need one another. I don't know if you've ever really twigged to that, that the family only works when we depend on one another, when we show loyalty to one another. It's right the way through Scripture. Take even the Lord's Prayer. Uh, I've got the first bit up on the screen, the left-hand section. This is how I used to read and pray this section of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Give me this day my daily bread, 
and forgive me my debts, as I also have forgiven my debtors. And lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. Some of you read through that and like, yeah, looks okay to me. Yeah, that's what I've been praying. But of course, that's not what it actually says, is it? The context in Luke 11 is the disciples, a small group, of, maybe it was all of them, maybe it was eight of them, perhaps 12, we don't know. They come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And then up on the right-hand side of the screen, I've got the words that he actually says. This is what Jesus actually teaches them. He says, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. He teaches them as a group to ask for what they need. It's a corporate prayer he's teaching them, not an individual prayer. And if we're praying corporate prayers, then we should expect corporate answers, shouldn't we? This means that the Father may give me daily bread that's not just for me, but that he intends it for other people too. Does that make sense? The question becomes, not has he met my need for daily bread, but do we have enough daily bread? The question is no longer, how do I avoid temptation, but how do we avoid temptation? How do we help one another remain pure and stay true to the values that we hold? It's a corporate thing. And in our individualistic mindset, that can be so hard to grasp. Let me... Try and illustrate it for you. I, I needed three volunteers, so I, I have volunteered Wendy, Simon, and Steve. And so I'm going to ask you guys to come and partake in a, well, hopefully a bit helpful illustration. Do you, do you want to just stand down the front here? Stand in a line facing out. And, um, yeah, you can applaud them. And um, I've, got, I've got some, um, some little things for them. So here's the deal. I'm sending these guys off on an adventure, okay? It's a, it's a long-term mission. And um, it's going to be an absolute blast. They're going to have a wonderful time. And because I'm generous, I have decided to give them everything they need. Okay? So they're going to be out in the wild some of the time. So um, I have got them a tent to sleep in to keep warm at night. So I'm going to give the tent here to Simon. Um, I, I'm going to send them quite a long way. So um, I'm going to give them a map as well. Because without this map, they'll be horribly lost. I know that because they're going to have to travel through Milton Keynes. So there you go. So you hold that. <laughs> Otherwise, it's going to be like, have we been in this roundabout before? Um, and also, because it's a long trip, I'm going to need to give them some food. So I've prepared some food. All the things that Christians eat. Um, in this bag, we have bacon pasta bake. And um, in this bag here, we have sausage pasta bake. So all the things that, that Christians eat. And they've got everything they need. Don't lose the carrier bags because they're worth quite a lot of money. Um, so... so so they've got everything, everything they need, all right? And um, so I, I send them off. Have I provided everything they need? Yes. Have you got everything you need? Yes. Steve, have you individually got everything you need? No, I've only got the food. You've only got the food. So the point is that corporately they have everything they need for this adventure. Individually, they have some serious deficiencies. Some serious things missing. If they stick together on this mission, they will be absolutely fine. I've, I've even given them extra pasta bake to give to people on the journey. They've got everything they need. But so often what happens is this. Steve um, is going on this journey with them, and he begins to think, actually, you know, I'm, I'm fine with the destination, 
But I'm not happy with the route that Wendy's taking us on. She's taking us past Brogborough and the old landfill, and I don't like the smell very much. I'm, I'm happy with the destination. Sorry if you live in Brogborough. I'm happy with the destination, but I don't like the methods. So what does he do? He begins to think, I'm not sure if I'm in this thing anymore. So Steve begins to bail out, and he makes his way over here. What happens in that moment? He withdraws from the community of believers, and everybody loses. These guys now don't have everything that they're meant to have for the mission. Meanwhile, Steve might have plenty of food, but he's disorientated, lost, and in need of shelter. Together, we have everything for this journey. Individually, we have some serious deficiencies. Let's just thank these guys as they... The lie of our society says that our goal should be independent living. The truth of Scripture says that we are called to interdependent living. You need the people around you. You need their skills, their wisdom, their resources. You need their revelation of God to help you on this adventure. And every time you choose to bail out or withdraw, you suffer and the people around you suffer. That's why Paul says to the Corinthians, he says, that the eye cannot say to the hand, you don't, I don't need you anymore. Nor can the head say to the feet, I have no need of you. Why? Because we are built together to rely on each other. He's orchestrated things so that you have exactly what you need. But all too often, the very thing you really need, he's placed in the hands of somebody else who winds you up a little bit. <laughs> Why does God do that? Because he wants to build us together and also because he's got a killer sense of humor. <laughs> but that's what he does. The people around you need your generosity they need your wisdom, they need your prayers, and they certainly need your encouragement. And you, in turn, need things from them. Without doubt, my best moments in group life in King's Arms have been when there's a response to a need of some kind. A few months back, we had someone in our group who, I, th I think it was a washing machine she needed because hers are broken, and, and she just didn't have the resources to pay for it. And so the group anonymously... Pulled the, pulled the money together to get her what she needed. That was just a wonderful moment in the life of us as a group. There have been times, too, when we've been in need. I remember one time when the children were much younger, we, they were sent home from school with one of those notes that say there's a head lice outbreak in the school. And um, so we had that going on. And then uh, we also had a Tesco delivery that was about to turn up just as group was about to start. And um, we, we had none of the children bathed or ready for bed. And to make matters worse, the next day, the school had scheduled an Easter bonnet parade, um, which meant that Emma and I had to construct three Easter bonnets for these children. And Emma and I had this conversation, rather stressed conversation in the kitchen, just before everybody's due to arrive. And she was saying, look, I think we've got to cancel it. And in that moment, I, I suddenly remembered that I, I thought that groups were about doing life together. And so I said to them, why don't we do things differently? So that evening when people arrived, I walked in and I said, look, you know, we're, we're in meltdown as a family. Instead of just going through our scriptures tonight, why don't we do life together? Will you help us? And so some people put the shopping away. Other people read stories. And then once the children were to, went to bed, one person read through the questions from the Sunday talk. And uh, he, he sort of read them out to us. And we answered them as we sat there stitching Easter bonnets together. <laughs> It was one of our best ever evenings. Why? 
because we were doing life together. We now have around 40 life groups and missional communities of all kinds, not because they're a nice option, but because God designed you and me for family. It won't always be convenient. Sometimes the people around you won't seem like you, won't seem like you get them. They might seem a bit odd to you on occasions. That's because you are the only normal person here, okay? (laughs) And sooner or later, everybody else will realize that. But until then, just be patient with them. This temple is made up of living stones, fashioned by God, shaped for him to be used by him. Just as we land, two things I want you to do. Number one is this. I want you to play your part in this family, in this temple to the full. Without you, there's a hole in the building. Will you play your part? In a few minutes, we're going to finish a little bit earlier to give people a chance to find out about the opportunities to serve around the church. I know, for instance, there's a desperate need in our King's Kids for people to step up and say, hey, can I be involved? You may not feel a particular calling to help out with, with kids. You may feel like, I don't know much about kids, to which I would say to you, you were one once. You have about 18 years of experience. Why don't you sign up and help? You know, sometimes God gives us things, and sometimes he entrusts things to us. What has God entrusted to you for you to share with others? Is it a financial resource? Is it practical expertise? Is it time? Such a precious resource that you can give to others. I want you to play your part to the full. And secondly, this. I want you to lean on others. God hasn't designed you to lead an independent life. So you will have needs. You won't have the tent and all the food and the map. You need to know what it is to give, but you also need to know what it is to receive. I want you to find a setting where you can know others standing with you, where you can say, will you help me get free from this secret addiction? Or I'm still gripped by paralyzing anxiety. Will you pray with me? Or say to them, the truth is, I'm lonely. Or our marriage has been struggling for some time. Will you help us? The point is, It's your duty to support others, but it's your privilege to have others standing with you. God's family is to be marked by an irrepressible commitment to one another. Let me just finish with this verse. It's just one of my favorites in the New Testament. 1 John 3.16 says this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and so we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. What's the standard on Christian loyalty? The standard is that you would be willing to lay down your very life for the person on your left, for the person on your right, for the person in front of you, and the person behind you. God has made you for family and community. The best use of a life is love. Let's be that kind of community together. And the promise of that is that God himself will then inhabit a temple and a family that lives that way. And when God does that, there's no telling how he might use us in this town, in this region, in this nation, and the nations beyond.